0: Hello, and welcome to Fundamental Value, a journey to quantify crypto. I'm your host, Joshua Frank, co-founder and CEO of The Tie. On Fundamental Value, we speak with the leading hedge funds, analysts, trading venues, and digital asset market, market participants. Our goal is simple, to understand how the leading minds in the cryptocurrency space are researching, analyzing, and quantifying the value of digital assets. Uh, remember, you know the podcast is now available on Cointelegraph as being distributed through them. Uh, so you can you can check out the podcast and other deep explorations of blockchain trends at Cointelegraph magazine, which is www.cointelegraph.com slash magazine. And so very quick disclaimer, nothing here is investment advice. Read our show notes for the complete disclaimers. Uh, but let's get right into it. Uh, I'm super excited to be joined by Rob Levy, uh, who is the co-founder and president of Hero. Rob, it's so great to have you on. It's really great to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Josh. And so the first question that we start with every guest is, you know, what did you do before crypto and, you know, what initially attracted you to the space and eventually led you down the uh, proverbial rabbit hole? That's a
1: great, great question. I feel like, you know, it's the first industry I've been in where I actually feel a little old, like a boomer in, in crypto. So that question you ask of many people, there's probably not much that they did before crypto, like even you. You know, you're young. You you spent some time, obviously, but only only a little bit of time. But um, you know, pre crypto, I I came from the professional market making, professional trading space. I was an options market maker on the floor of the CBOE and then on the floor of the CME, and that was my professional life pre crypto. I learned about Options and, and and options market making. When I was in college um, during the summers, I, I clerked at a trading firm at the CBOE, and I'd spend every day of the summer down on the floor in the trading pit, standing next to um, you know one of the firm's top traders and, and clerking for him, holding his handheld little HP little Jornada type of uh, computer and entering all the trades he made. He'd tell me when he bought and sold and. And, you know, these were the summers of 97, 98, 99, like some of that internet boom, dot com stocks flying on page views and stuff like that. So that first summer I was in the amazon.com pit. And, um, you know, the guy I, I traded for was just, he was a legend on the floor, so fast, so good. I mean, this was still open outcry trading. This was like before the electronic markets really took hold so it was it was a different sort of trade it, it was like kind of like how playing poker when you're sitting at a table with people and you you get to know them and see how they they play and then it turned into well you're, you're playing 20 hands at a time on, on online and you don't get to really see anybody um but that was my life pre-crypto um I was a a market nerd. I lived in in order books and, and, you know, did automated options market making.
0: And so how'd you discover crypto uh, and what initially led you down this, you know, down the rabbit hole? And then you, you know, eventually started Gordian Block in January 2018. So, you know, what kind of led you there? And then, you know, I guess kind of walk through what that, you know, that firm is as well.
1: Yeah. You know, my first, I I remember it really vividly because I... I became a Twitter fanatic when I was on the floor in the corn options pit at the CME. And at the time, you know, finding out from farmers across the Midwest or across the country how their corn crop was or how the weather has affected them, like really kind of getting that firsthand knowledge and and interaction, communication with farmers, it before Twitter, it was much more difficult. You really had to go through either, you know, brokers, research analysts, like they had a much tighter grip on, on the information. And so what Twitter did was it really opened it up. And all of a sudden, like I'm following farmers all over. I'm looking at pictures. They're following me because I'm giving some commentary about what's going on in the pit, what's going on in the market. So I you know, I built a following and and I had about 7,000 followers of of like ag Twitter was what we called it. And um, it was so valuable though. I was on Twitter like all day, all night. And I remember standing in the pit and I followed this account, the price of Bitcoin. And I don't even know if it still exists, but it would come through my feed and I'd see that it, it would list the price of Bitcoin on like three or four different exchanges. And at the time it was Mt. Gox and some others. And, you know, if, if Bitcoin was a couple hundred bucks, three, 400 bucks, 800 bucks, I'd see that the spread, the price it was trading from one exchange to another was pretty wide for like the, the, what it was. You know, if it's a $600 thing and it's trading $520 on one and $640 on another, I mentally dismissed it because in the world that I was in, you know, market makers and traders were fighting over fractions of pennies you know, really small edge, like it it was kind of arbed out already. And the fact that the price was so wide on on these different exchanges, I really just looked at it through the trader's lens and said, there must be a catch, this must not be substantial or real, or else traders would be kind of closing that those windows. And it actually took then a, a solid couple years at least um, to where I, I really gave it a look, not from just the pure trading market making aspect, but from like, what is this using like my economics major type of mind? And then it really started to make sense. That was like the end of 2016, unfortunately. So, um, you know, I, I learned about it. Um, I wouldn't say early at all. But you know, now it's 2021. So is the end of 16, early of 17, early? Maybe. I mean, it was kind of- Relatively
0: the- speaking, it, it is. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's you know the funniest thing that you said there, though, was that you're on farm Twitter. And it's funny because you're back on farm Twitter. It's just a different type of farm Twitter this it, time around.
1: That's the funny thing too. Yeah. When when I learned that they called it the corn, right? And then when yield farming picked up, I'm like, Jesus, this is like in like <laughs> alternate universe. It's like- Corn, I, you know, I was a corn trader and now I train the corn, but it's a different corn. And now we're talking about farming. And, you know, some of my ag Twitter people who still follow me, the ones who, who didn't unfollow me after I turned all crypto talk, like they're probably looking at it like, what the hell is he talking about? Farming and yield and, and all this stuff. And the corn has a bid when the corn is, you know, wasn't moving. But <laughs> um, ironically, like corn has been on a tear. Like corn, July futures just traded over seven, seven bucks a barrel, a uh, bushel, I'm sorry. Like that's a big move. It's been years and years, kind of since the tail end of the drought in 2012, since um, corn has been this, this high. So that thing has had like a run. It's outperformed Bitcoin in, over the last few months. That's all, that's all I could say about that.
0: That's that's pretty impressive. So so something funny and a slight distraction is, did you see ETC's spread today?
1: No, I I didn't, but we were just talking about it on our Hero Labs live stream. Um Crypto Masai was saying that it it was trading like well over on Coinbase. It
0: relative- was trading at 160 on Robinhood, 120 on Coinbase and 80 on Binance today.
1: That's that's insane. What does that I mean was that, I mean, so the supply like how come they can't close that ARB? Like we've got Alameda research making markets. We've got I, Jump. Well, I, well, I, was,
0: I was saying if Alameda and Jump haven't closed this, something is wrong and I'm not getting in on this trade. Yeah, uh,
1: it's, it's wild. Maybe because of like, you know, we talk about the 51% attack with Ethereum Classic, right? It's been one of those targets because it hasn't had the hash rate. It hasn't had the, the security of the network that, um, it, it probably needs. And as these prices kind of melt up, there starts to be incentive for people to, to try to attack it. But what would, I mean, how come- Yeah, but them- I, I,
0: you have to think that Alameda, you, you don't think Sam is sitting at his computer salivating, seeing a $40 spread, uh, regardless think, of what asset it is?
1: I think so. But so what's really keeping him from moving inventory of Ethereum Classic-
0: Let's see if it's, let's see if it, if it closed, let's see. Yeah.
1: I'm looking on, on Ethereum, on, on Robinhood, it says it's a right now.
0: So we're um, at, we're at, let's see, let's see if this is closed. It's closed. It's closed. So we're at one Oh one on Coinbase 94 on Binance. So it's not full. I mean, that's still a big difference, but it's not, it was, it was a 40 or $50 difference earlier in
1: well, the day. The Robinhood thing. I mean, this Dogecoin move, right, very, very much has the feeling of the the Robin Hood momentum and, and like this retail money flow that got really powerful when we were looking at GameStop and AMC and all that stuff that created the big hullabaloo where they said you can't buy any more of this stuff for the next couple of days and Robinhood had some capital problems covering some three-day settlement stuff. But this, to me, feels very, very similar. And then I think that once you then, and you're a nut about data and looking at how other things react, but let's look at today, right? Dogecoin is now, it traded 69 cents overnight. It's like an $80 billion market value. (laughs) Insane. I mean, even the biggest of Dogecoin, like bulls or supporters think this is absolutely crazy. And now we look at, The other six coins that are listed on Robinhood, we've got Ethereum Classic, which is up 35% today, right? This thing was up even higher. So now we've got Bitcoin SV, which, you know, I don't like to speak negatively about a lot of of things, but come on, like, come on, it's up 20% today, Bitcoin Cash up 38% today, these the, the other Robinhood crypto offerings are leading the charge. So this is very retail driven. This is like, I mean, I don't want to say it's not that it's dumb money, but it's popular money. It's, it's like,
0: what yeah, would you it's, call it's, it? You guys, I mean... It's it's retail. It's a retail rally, right? I mean, I think, and you know, we can we can dive into this a little bit more, you know, now or later. But you know, I think it's interesting how disconnected, you know, there's the institutional crypto assets and there's those retail assets. And you know, you and I have had these conversations before of, with like Theta and Cardano and these different assets which are being driven by YouTube and by TikTok. And then yeah. it just it feels so disconnected because us in the crypto industry, we look at Ethereum Classic, and with the exception of Barry Silbert, we all laugh. And you know. I love Barry. I think he's a great guy. I don't really understand the investment thesis behind ETC. Um, but you know, ETC's trading volume is up 480% today. Its Twitter activity is up 1100 percent today. I mean, it's absolutely price is up 42.5%. I mean, Bitcoin Cash is seeing 142% spike in trading activity, Dogecoin 184%. I mean, Dogecoin, you know, look, you know, take it with a grain of salt, this volume metric, but but $40 billion in, in volume traded today. I mean, yep. I, I would assume there's no stock that was traded that much today uh, in the entire stock market
1: it's in it's really, really crazy and and I was talking to a big liquidity provider earlier, just kind of like, you know, this is nutty. and um he asked if I had any Doge to loan him, you know, <laughs> and they're they're looking for physical Doge coin so that they can properly make markets and provide liquidity on the spot exchanges, you know, when you're talking about real coins, and you're buying physical coins, you, you need to have that physical coin inventory on that exchange. And if it's a one way street, like even the the market makers who are doing the most volume and trading it everywhere, like they could even get low on inventory, and they can't offer something that they don't have. So then... They've got to go to the, you know, the offshore exchanges, the ones that have futures and derivatives on it, and they need to kind of take short positions there. And then you can kind of gauge that that funding rate in those markets. And I've been watching that. The funding rate turned negative on, um, you know, those exchanges this morning kind of overnight for Doge, which means that in order to even have a, to, to take a short futures position, you're paying this funding rate every hour, every eight hours, depending on what exchange. And it's going to cost you money to be short this thing. And that's because people are willing to pay a big amount to borrow Doge right now. They need Doge to be able to trade it on the spot exchanges. And they're running low. And it kind of, you're seeing that, you know, it's like this, this supply like shortage, which if if there's no supply to offer, price goes up. I mean, it's it's kind of that that simple, but this it, it's it's nutty, and it doesn't hurt that it is the supreme meme. You know, you got Elon Musk out there tweeting. I think this this latest leg, this latest uptrend, really kicked into gear, and and once again, like your great platform could could tell us pretty much exactly. Elon Musk. Tweet about the Doge Father and his upcoming um, appearance on Saturday Night Live this weekend. And then
0: and then this Gemini and Etoro listing in the somehow may the fourth be with you has to do with Dogecoin. I'm not sure why, but I, uh,
1: I know, yeah. and then on top of that, so you got Elon Musk who's got a huge following, and he's you know one of the smartest people on earth and richest. So he's out there, so then people are looking at it and he's a good guy to piggyback. And then you had companies that we're doing campaigns around it. Like I, I forget even which, but like a consumer goods company doing like a Dogecoin kind of promotion. It's powerful. I mean, we've seen we've seen assets that people think um, on a balance sheet, or if you're looking at statistically, that they don't have much value, like GameStop, when they were really doing poorly, no one was going to their stores, their business, like was, was actually down and not good. And that stock exploded because some, some guys on Reddit and, and, and they, they spotted that there was a big short position out. And, and they said, if we all buy this thing, it'll probably hurt this guy. And and you saw the power of what like a retail trading mob can do.
0: So one really uh, a little sidetracked, but related. So we look into you know obviously we we collect all this news, right? We have all this news data. And so we were looking at what are the most frequently used words in mainstream media around Dogecoin. and if 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 you look, it's the first two are Elon and then Musk. and then it's like crypto, whatever. and then it's Snoop, dog, Mark Cuban, and then meme. Rally, it's all these different words. And if you look at the the nature of the conversation around Dogecoin, it's just it's completely different than anything else that we're seeing in crypto. I mean, something that is wild is that we've seen 30% more media mentions of Dogecoin in mainstream media yesterday than we ever saw on the highest day of Ethereum ever. Right. So it's kind of like just like NFTs kind of have, it's seeped outside of crypto and it's kind of become mainstream and taking a life on its own. And so, you know, in a second, we'd love to kind of get back to, to learning more about Hero, obviously. Yeah. But my question for you, what does this mean, right? What what, what, what happens if Dogecoin does get up to a dollar? What happens next, right? Is Is this thing right. going to totally crash and burn? If it does, can it bring the rest of crypto down with it? Is it disconnected? You know, what right. are your... You know, what are your thoughts on the you know kind of broader market implications of yeah. this?
1: Well, you know, my thoughts as kind of a, a lifetime market guy and, and guy who's who's watched order books and watched charts and the tape, um and, and kind of been a part of the order flow and the movement in, in different commodities, different assets, is that most of the time when, when when you see an impulse move, when you see a move with such power and force. You know, you pull up the Dogecoin chart and you look at something going from a penny to 70 cents. You know, 70x thing in a short amount of time and you see that the power of it in the the parabolic rise is that um, it, it's not that what goes up must come down, but it's that that energy, it takes a lot of buying power, a lot of order flow consistently, a lot of energy to move it that high that much that quickly. And when you get like, um, this, a, a slowing down of the acceleration, or you're not getting that same power for, for a period of time, or even on the chart, of like the internal technicals will start to slow down and you'll start seeing all oh, the momentum indicators are turning down for Doge. After you've gone so far, you tend to see pullbacks and I, you know, a lot that $1 doge number has been a, a big kind of meme level. If it goes to a dollar, it's not out of the question. It's trading 62 and a half cents right now. It traded 69 cents overnight. Um, it's it, it's not too far away from hitting a dollar, but you know, you start to think about the the actual the friction of moving something after it's gone so so far even more it gets difficult. And I I would imagine we're going to get a lull there. And we've seen it happen with Doge many times. And we've seen it happen in crypto. Almost every single asset that's seen a markup that aggressively, that quickly, you see a pullback. And a lot of times, unfortunately, for people who who, um, never sell after these run-ups, these pullbacks in crypto can be extremely deep. I mean, we're talking about 50% to, to 80%. And I mean, even Bitcoin's done it many, many times, right? After that, that run up to twenty thousand, it traded back I mean, back if Doge
0: if, goes up to to a dollar, it's hundred and twenty billion dollar market cap. If it corrects ninety percent, it's still more than a ten billion dollar market cap for a meme. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty exceptionally large. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, it. I agree with you, but the one thing we've learned from the last few years and from just the market in general is. Things can move a lot farther than we all think they can, both directions. That's that's higher or lower, right? No one thought the crude oil futures would trade forty dollars negative, you know, last year. <laughs> Things can move like no one thought that that GameStop stock could do what it did. Um, even Tesla had ten xed in a year, and that's like one of the most closely followed stocks out there. Stuff can move way farther than than you think it can. So that's something to, to be aware of. And and in crypto, it tends to do just that. And that's that's up and down. So if it overshoots on the upside and goes to a buck, it's not out of the question. It's actually pretty decent probability that it's going to come back down below 50 cents, maybe even 40, 30, 20, because it's moved so much. And some of these values are are just they're mind boggling. So
0: and so. Let's go back to you know your journey into crypto yeah. and and really would love to to dive into Hero because I think what you guys are building is is super cool. So you know your first you know foray was with was, was with Gordian Block, which is something yeah. that you're still running today. And so you know it's a crypto fund. And can you kind of tell us a little bit more about that and why you just started to you know launch a fund and, and what you guys are doing specifically?
1: Sure, sure. So um, you know my partner Dan Gunsberg and I, who's also co-founder of, of Hero and is the CEO of Hero, um, we. We came together in um, January of, of 2018 and Dan had left um, the trading firm that I was at. He was the COO of this proprietary trading firm in Chicago where I was running an agricultural options market making desk and um, our daughters were in the same preschool class and, and we lived in the same town. So we became um, close friends and, you know, it was very clear to both of us that, you um, something very, very special was going on in the crypto markets, right? We were both professionals in markets. And regardless of whether we thought Bitcoin was like a, a true technological game changer, which we both did, um, regardless of, of what we thought of these assets, the trade itself was crazy. It reminded us of those, the dot-com boom, where the, the volatility in those markets just it was so much greater than a normal type of market. And for me, I was still in college during the dot-com um, you know, boom. Dan was a he traded it and he traded it well. So we both had that feeling. And it was one of those feelings like, to me, I wasn't gonna miss this again. Like it triggered something in me, because I remember that feeling in college. And I'm like, there's not gonna be a market. Like this is this just. This is too good to be true, and I'm missing it. I'm in college, so um, I was not going to miss something like that again. And it was worth um, getting involved. And and I'm one of those guys where you can't just kind of do it on the side. You got to go all in because that's when the real magic happens. And and so we joined. We started a small, um, started trading together a small fund in Gordian Block, and we launched that in, in February of, of 2018. And we just, you know, we started. We were sitting at our in our office at the trading desk all day, and started really, really watching how this next generation of of exchange and next generation of trading product um, evolved, and it was fascinating. And one of the best things about crypto was, you know, at that time people were putting out white papers, and it was a lot of vaporware. Nothing was really being used except trading. Products, so we thought we had talked about different different contracts, different um, types of, of products to trade, and we came up with um, this one type of option that we named Moonwrecked, and it was peer to peer. It it wasn't like putting the trader at against like the high frequency market makers, so there wasn't a space race. It, it was a, a true peer to peer contract. Um, it was actually paramutual, meaning that there's each outcome has a pool and you put your funds into the pool, which you think is going to be correct. And at the end, um, the, the winning side takes the entire pool. So
0: so the same as like horse racing.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So um, we came up with with what we called moon and it was on, on Bitcoin to start, like will the next five minute candle be green or red will Bitcoin close it higher or lower uh, moon which is what we call when something goes higher in crypto and then in wrecked when something uh, goes lower so we we decided um, we were gonna build a prototype and so we we funded um, you know a big part of it through through Gordian block and then we had some uh, you know we had a, a small little seed round and in January of 2019, we had the MVP ready to put in people's hands and we did a private beta and we, you know, we wanted people pounding on it and, and testing it and, um, you know, helping us iterate to the, to get it, um, you know, into better shape. And just from the first minute, we, we opened it up on New Year's Day to like 35 kind of crypto Twitter, um, you know, big traders and, and, you know, I don't want to say influencers, but kind of in, in the circle and they fucking loved it like we went crazy on it and i'm talking about people 14 hours straight like people were just they couldn't put it down and it was 5 minute moon wrecked and and this was like kind of in the heart of a, a bear market bitcoin was about 3800 bucks when we we put it out and people were down in the dumps the trade was was not Good at that point. It, it, we weren't getting a lot of movement. And people had just literally, we had r- ridden that, that wave of emotion where everybody was so ecstatic for that stretch of November, December, the year prior. And we had gone up to 20,000. And to think that Bitcoin had pulled back to 4,000, Ethereum had pulled back to 100 bucks and all everybody's like mental gains and paper gains had just been erased. And, um, you know, the key takeaway was that bear markets are actually the best time to be building. You know, you learn a, a lot about your product, you learn a lot about the community, and, and who really is, is in it to, to build quality applications and, and protocols. And, and that was, um, you know, a really key takeaway. And um, from then on, you know it it just grew that private beta really grew um we iterated on the product and it it really became um something that that we were really proud of
0: yeah and i mean i think well two things the first i'm totally with you on the bear market i mean we you know we i started the tie in march 2018 you know right as everything you know we had a little bit of run left in ETH and a few other assets for a couple weeks when I got started and then it all kind of went downhill from there so you know in the same boat building through the bear market and it lets you get ahead um yeah. you know we were building when other people didn't want to build and didn't want to enter the market and you know you know I, I guess positions you well but I, but I think you know your point on you know the success of Moonraket is is the fact that people love gamification people love games and gambling and and, and all sorts of different things. I mean, you speak of power mutual betting. I mean, horse racing is a great example. We see that with Zed now, uh, which isn't horse racing, you know, horse gambling, gambling. Yeah, but it's horse racing on, you know, the blockchain and NFTs. And I know you and I have had this conversation. And so, you know, this is kind of, you know, Moonwrecked is what led to Hero. And so can you Mm -hmm. kind of talk about what Hero is and, you know, what Moonwrecked is in in kind of relation to Hero, but kind of the broader vision of, of Hero?
1: So Moonrag, you know, Hero and we spell it H X R O because you know, Hero we were bringing kind of this this X Games feel, this this X factor. You know, in the world that we had lived in, the the clock played a big a big role. You know, as an options market maker, the clock for during the day, you know, there's clocks everywhere on the exchange to the second and um it it was a big factor like on expiration day you know y- you had to get out of your positions the positions were going to expire so there was a lot of risk changing hands on expiration and the clock became a, a a big part of it and also like in in traditional professional trading at the end of the day when you close and now as much as the markets are are open almost 24/7 it's 24/5 like in in traditional markets. But at the end of the day, they take a snapshot and there's settlements and Mm -hmm. the amount of margin that you have to post is based on your like end of day positions and stuff. So there is a lot of squaring up before the close, you know, before the close, you see a lot of transaction volume, um, across the board. So that, that clock really stood out for us and it, it brought about like some psychology and emotional, um, reactions. So, you know, the big part about Moonrect was we had the clock there and what we were doing, all these Moonrect contracts were aligned with the most popular time frames on the chart. So, we started out with the 5-minute, 15-minute, and 1-hour because those were time frames that a lot of traders would would look at when they were when they were trading. So, um, people were then taking positions on a five-minute candle, a fifteen-minute candle, a one-hour candle, and it was because of the paramutual and pool-based nature of it, we would get like a, a real-time sentiment gauge of how people were leaning bullish or bearish. So, you know, MoonWrecked was the first product on the Hero platform, and um, later on, we added another um, pair of products. We call them Ticks Wicks. And those are contracts, um, they're options contracts that basically they're, um, they're almost like prediction market contracts where you've got um, something that's either going to be worth zero or it's going to be worth one, right? Will Donald Trump win the election? And, and when you're trading in a prediction market, the, the value of that contract vacillates somewhere between zero and one dollar. So if it's trading 40 cents, that means that the implied probability of that event happening is about 40%. And the power of, of those contracts is that where, where one of those contracts is trading, it, it really gives you an idea of what the like, live odds are of that event happening. So take a Ticks contract, for example. Will Bitcoin close above $60,000 on June 25th? right? And that's like a big kind of quarterly, monthly expiration. And if it closes above $60,000 on June 25th, it'll be worth a dollar. And if it doesn't, if it closes below, that contract will be worthless. It'll be worth zero. So right now, that contract could be trading 40 cents, which is telling us that the market is pricing that con- that um, outcome at a 40% likelihood. So Ticks contracts. It's it's got this gamey feel because it really is. We represent the price of these contracts in in odds, in live odds, in European decimal odds, which is like the most popular way of presenting odds um, in, in Europe European type of products. So if the odds are 1.4x, that means if I take a hundred dollar position and I'm right, I'm going to get 140 back. When the thing expires, so you know we've got you know MoonWrecked would be the the paramutuals. That was the first product that we launched on the Hero platform, and Ticks Wix contracts were the second um, product line that we launched on the Hero platform, and that launched right at um, the end of
0: October. So it's been been out for
1: about six months.
0: And and FTX is a partner on that product, right?
1: Yes. So F- FTX is a partner. We we. um, you know, on the back end, we use FTX's is RFQ and, and trade engine and collateral wallet system, and it's all connected through API on on Hero and and FTX has, has been you know a great great partner, and um, you know both both Dan and I were, were very bullish on on Sam Bankman Freed and and what he was doing there for a long time, and it seemed like a natural and you know we called Sam up he's a great guy and and he was really excited about the product and he was like yeah let's let's do this so um you know that that's been a really great great partnership there
0: and so you know obviously the first two products you know that are part of kind of i guess the hero network or, or hero are are focused on crypto <laughs> trading but mm-hmm. I, I think the grand vision is, is is even bigger than that, right? And so yep. what do you see Hero Network becoming, right? You know, what, what are you seeing being built on Hero, you know, over time? Yep. What is that vision that you have in your head and how has that changed over time?
1: Yeah. So we we always thought the, the goal was always to have these moon wrecked contracts, even from the beginning, on chain. But you know, in the middle of 2018, we had just witnessed what went on with CryptoKitties and um, the Ethereum network was not yet ready for, for this type of product to be on chain um, every one minute, every five minutes. It, it just wasn't viable. The fee structure, it it, it wasn't supportive at that time. So, um, you know, we decided we were going to build. We were going to see if we had product market fit. We we're going to get this in the hands of people. weren't worried about, um, you know, if it's on chain or not. And knowing that eventually we're going to do this on chain. So what what hero.io is, is the platform, right? Hero network is separate from hero.io. The contract engine that currently sits on, on, on the hero platform is not going to exist once we go live with the hero network protocols. So we're building a permutual protocol on the Solana network. And we're building um, options protocol for Vanilla and for the Tix Wix contracts on Solana as well. Now, that is going to serve as the the contract engine for um, these products. And what Hero.io, it will just be the interface, right? We are going to plug into Hero Network and, you know, how we represent this paramutual protocol is through Moonwrecked, right? But there are many, many, many other use cases for paramutual contracts. And we found that there were many business operators out there that came to us and said, We would like to put this contract widget on our site. Can you do that? And so basically, Hero Network is, is going to be the contract engine. And other operators, just like Hero.io, the platform does, will be able to plug in to the network and get access to the liquidity and to the contract engine, and they will be able to offer similar products that um, you know could be in the market, could be in sports, could be prediction markets. You know, paramutuals are extremely useful, so. Um, Hero Network is not owned by Hero.io, it's, it's separate, but, um, you know, we are a, a big supporter. Obviously, it's, it's like, um, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried, how FTX, Alameda, they don't own Serum, but they are the, you know, a big community member. They're the driver of it, right? They don't own Solana, but they are, you know, a big, big part of that network, a big participant. They're a leader there. And um, so that's going to be the same way that Hero Network exists.
0: And so how do you kind of think through as, a, as I mean, I guess you have two things, right? Because you have Hero.io and you have Hero Network. How do you think through competition? Because in a way, with Hero Network, you're actually enabling competition of Hero.io, right? Um, right. And so do you view other cryptocurrencies as competition? Do you view use centralized crypto native trading venues, more traditional market participants? I mean, h- how do you kind of think through that in your head?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a great question. I, you know, our main focus right now, we've got a very long-term view. We do believe that the future of, of exchange is going to be decentralized. Um, it doesn't mean that it's going to be like um, flipping a switch and all of a sudden all this um, centralized trade goes to DeFi and, and decentralized, non-custodial. But we do think that the future is going to um, move towards decentralized exchange. Now, what we're trying to do is build that, that tooling and, and plumbing and create a foundation for that to be able to exist. And it's, it's more about facilitating trade, faci- creating liquidity that is meaningful, where people can, can go and actually hedge risk where people can go and speculate where they're still just making trades out of their own wallet, you know, that they, they don't have to go to and put their trust in, in third, third party, um, you know, or institutions like that. So um, that's what we're building. Yet There, there will be competition and we are telling um, you know, operators and and people who are, are looking at these products, um, we want them to build to the network, you know, like the, the more parties that are using these contracts means the more value that accrues in the network. It means more liquidity. It means a better user experience. It means tighter markets, less slippage. It's it's everything that individual traders would want lower fees, you know, and, and, and that's what we're looking for. So while it does open it opens it up to competitors of of the hero platform um it it also will add liquidity and will add value to the network so it's it's um it's something that you know we're we're looking five seven ten years down down the road here and think that the pie is going to be much much bigger than one two three five ten um, platforms can even handle, right? I mean, there there is a tremendous amount of transactional volume that occurs on a daily basis in, in markets globally. So a big, big pie there.
0: And I, I think, you know, one of the, the coolest things about Hero is just how much enthusiasm there is from the institutional side of the market, right? And, and all the investors that you guys have you know, or that have been attracted to, to participate in the hero network. Can you kind of talk to that and talk about that? And and some of the institutions, I mean, some of them are public. So obviously the public ones, um, you know, that have, that have kind of become part of this ecosystem and, and some of them are actively engaged with it, right. They're not just investors. So, you know, I'd love for you to kind of dive into that a little bit.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it, it's not something that happens overnight. That's for sure. I mean, this sort of thing, when, when you're building platforms and and it's, more like building community, right? You need to earn trust. You know, that that's that's the first thing. Um, what, what we've seen happen in crypto a lot and through the 2017-18 ICO craze and, and um, even the yield farming and, and a lot of stuff like that is that um, there's a lot of get-rich-quick schemes, a lot of pump-and-dump type of stuff where people are are just looking for a a quick hit and they're gonna put out a white paper that you know may or may not get developed and try to raise money and and um it's it it was a a space where it, it was kind of fast and loose and it was it also the fact that i'm a little older you know dan's a few years older than me but we've got some gray hair we we spent you know, twenty plus years each of us in in the derivatives markets in finance, that helped, right? I mean, when you can establish some trust, and then you also are a little bit older, you're not necessarily as naive. You know, we've we've dealt with relationships, we've dealt with communication before on on um, you know on a professional level, so. I feel like once people got to know us in person and this was kind of pre COVID. So we did see people at, at conferences, you know, we traveled to Asia. We were in, Dan was in Hong Kong. I went to Taiwan. We, we both went to Korea. We, Dan went to Toronto. We went to my, I mean, we were, we were traveling. So the more people kind of met us in person um, we connected with a lot of folks and, and that was, you know, one of the best things is when you do connect with, with, Early adopters, there's so much enthusiasm, so much passion that they quickly can become like avid supporters. And that's really critical when you're trying to build community and you're trying to build a user base and when you're introducing people to like a new product that they have not interacted with before. And so I think that that really helped us, you know, like the fact that we were. A little bit older, I, I kind of feel like I'm a boomer in in the crypto world, but w- we were a little bit older and and I think that played a, a role in in gaining some some trust. and um, when we met people in person, it, it was clear that you know we knew how to kind of handle ourselves and and interact with you know pros. so.
0: And and so, you know, you mentioned early earlier that Hero has now joined the Solana ecosystem, which has, you know, become the the hottest ecosystem in crypto, I think. I think undoubtedly at this point, you know, we had this excitement about BS, you know, Binance Smart Chain, and, and now it's kind of a lot of the focus is, is shifted to Solana. But you guys were earlier, uh, you know, you guys were pretty early to the move to Solana. And so can you tell us about why you were initially attracted to Solana and, you know, what the benefits of building on Solana are?
1: Yeah, it's funny because we were... We were early to the to the point where um, there were a couple of close advisors of ours and 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 supporters who said, you know, you guys are risking a lot here. Solana's relatively unknown, and um, you're risking a lot with your Ethereum community with you know we, we've been an ERC20 token and, and and it was not zero risk like a couple of people were very concerned and you know, the, the bottom line for us and we saw it happening in real time is that some of the, the best and brightest in, in the trading world in the derivative space in the high frequency space, they were choosing to build on Solana. They had already started. They, um, you know, they really, when you see real leaders going in one direction, um, and then you start digging in and you think about the reasons they were doing it, it just made all the sense in the world, um, for the, you know, Trading in general has become kind of like a space race, right? It's become a speed game when you're talking about the highest level, right? And obviously, going along with speed is fee structure, right? I mean, high speed, low fees, that's the the killer combination for the trading world and for the future of exchange and trading. And that's where Solana stood head and shoulders at the time above anything else we had seen and then we saw serum which they were able to execute a central limit order book on chain and for those of you who don't know you know serum is that is the decentralized exchange that is built on solana it is um you know it's it's supporters obviously Alameda research and ftx which runs one of the best derivatives exchange on earth For crypto, Um, it's also, you know, Serum's got some support from, uh, you know, another big, big player that trades probably the most volume globally in traditional financial products of of anybody. And they've gotten really big in crypto and they saw, um, you know, Serum as the leader. They saw Solana as the, you know, only chain to build on at the time. so. at the time, we took some risk, but it, it, from our world, the risk was more going to be kind of like that. It, it would be risk for a different reason. It'd be that cultic, like territorial risk, where in the it's, end, it's
0: kind of the, the sentiment risk, right? In a way, yeah. right? Where this market, and you know, we've discussed, is very, very, very sentiment driven. So even if you're making the right decision, it's it it you know everything comes down to how is the market going to react? How are traders going to react? Uh, you know uh-huh. what is kind of the sentiment there?
1: You're, you're absolutely right, and and it, it's it's crazy to see how that sentiment changed on Solana, and I'm sure you've got charts on it. Like that thing exploded.
0: I mean, it had that whole token unlock kind of event. I still remember Sam's tweet: "Sell me all your soul at three dollars."
1: Yeah, I know. To some troll, I think it was like Coin Mamba on Twitter, and and who was you know saying it was junk and was going down, or he was short it. And that was, like, literally, I saw that. I was already, like, long it, and I saw that, and I'm like, get, get out of town. Like, like I'm not going to – you're not going to get behind this thing where you literally have one of the biggest, most deep, deepest pocket traders out there, and he's telling you I'm $3 bid for as much as you want to sell me. Like, that's the type <laughs> of thing I want to get behind, right? Like, I, I want to be riding that wave. And so – it really like from that day when he tweeted that, I, I mean, $3 to made a high of over 50 bucks this last week. That's did it end you know, up
0: going? I, I remember I saw 48, I didn't see over 50.
1: I I think it did. I, I know that for a fact, like the June future did, right? Um, right.
0: right. I'll have to look I don't know that spot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'd have to look. I, I, maybe you're right. Maybe the spot didn't. I'm going to look it up right now. Let's see where we're looking. On uh yeah, so on Binance the Tether pair, it might have gotten a fifty print. Let's see. Um,
0: it got close. It definitely got close.
1: Yeah, you're right. It might not a forty nine eighty eight. Might have been the forty nine ninety nine top wow. print on Binance in the Tether pair. Let's wow. see on uh, wow. on on FTX.
0: I'm sure it hit fifty somewhere, but. No, I mean it's 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 extraordinarily impressive that you guys saw that. And I mean, obviously, look, you're extremely plugged in with the trading community, right? A lot of these, you know, a lot of these trading focused funds are holders of of Hero, right? I mean, that's that's your network, that's what you've built out. So I guess it makes sense. And, you know, you talked about serum, but I'm wondering, you know, are there any other Solana-based products that have you excited and in projects?
1: There are. I mean, there there are so many intelligent developers working on Solana right now. Um, really positive energy. It's tight knit community. Um, you know, they've got open arms that they're, they're eager to, to grow. We're looking at, um, you know, there's, there's oxygen, which is working in, in, you know, the borrow lend arena, um, which we are, we're excited about. It's also I the, the founder, I believe, of Oxygen is is the founder of, of is it maps? Um what is it? It's not maps.com, maps.me maps.me. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think.me, yeah.
1: Which has like a legitimate massive user base. And his plan is to incorporate um, you know, DeFi, like Oxygen, this borrow lend into um, maps as well. So there's you know. That's kind of the biggest thing here is we've seen what DeFi on Ethereum did last summer. You know, with with it was mainly an ETH DeFi thing. And then we just witnessed what Binance Smart Chain, which is more kind of like C DeFi, centralized DeFi, what they've been able to do. And what Binance Smart Chain was able to do, because they have such a massive user base, they were able to grow their Binance Smart Chain DeFi massively really quickly that power of that user base. So, you know, I think with maps.me and and with Oxygen and putting it right into the wallet like th- there are there's there's potential to see some real real user growth on Solana and that's that's got us excited. Um, you know, Radium obviously has been has been doing great they're doing great things. We're, you know, very big supporters of, of Serum as well. Um, you know that that's been doing great. Their volume continues to increase, and also the the token itself has made a really nice move. And that is one thing in crypto where, you know, a, a lot of times that that token action. You know, you see Serum uh, go from five bucks to twelve bucks in a month. And all of a sudden, people are seeing it on CoinGecko and stuff. And then they're like, well, what is Serum? And then all of a sudden, they're trying out Serum the DEX. And it, it really can, can draw more people in. So the big markup and value of the Solana network and the Solana network tokens is also very positive for getting
0: more users to, to give it a shot and see what it's all about. And so you know, you guys are obviously building on Solana and super bullish, but you know, what are your thoughts on this layer one debate? You know, do you see this as being a winner take all situation or do you kind of envision uh, a multi-chain future?
1: Yeah, I absolutely think it's going to be a multi-chain future. I don't think this is a winner take all type of of thing um, in the least. I I could be wrong. You know, it might turn out that way, but I I feel pretty strongly that Um, it's not the case of winner take all. I think we're still very early. Um, you know, I, I, we'll call it 1998 of the internet, right? I mean, the numbers are eerily similar when we look at, um, the number of of users of, you know, kind of AOL in 1998 matches very closely with the number of users of Coinbase. Number of overall users of of just the internet in general kind of matches with total like crypto users and wallets and stuff. So you know if we think about being that that early and if we use that analog, um, the idea of just of one chain to rule them all, I don't think it's realistic because what innovators do is is they build, and um, there's a lot of a lot of room for innovation here. I think we're going to be seeing it. From all different angles, and um, I think interchain interoperability is going to be, um, you know, taking place. I, I'm not a one chain for all type of guy, but I do think that what Ethereum has done, um, the leader in in this programmable money and the smart chain economy, this movement is incredible. I think. Ethereum has developed uh, tremendous network effects. I think that Ethereum will continue to be a leader. I think we're seeing a lot of um, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of excitement about the upcoming EIP fifteen fifty nine. I think we're um, you know w- we're going to see Ethereum really kind of excel in my mind because right now that the fee system the the it, it was unsustainable but fees on ethereum have come down they will be coming down more and i i do think that ethereum will will continue to be a leader but there will be many other chains with other sort of um you know kind of key applications that will um really start to compete and it might be like sector by sector you know you, you never know but you know i I feel confident that there's going to be more than one winner in this, in this race. And the bottom line is the value, right? In, um, you know, If we look at that, that internet analog, that the 1998, um, from 1998 over the next 22 years, the value 72X of this like internet economy. So if we think about that, and we think if we are in that same place, because the charts do line up, the numbers line up. Think about seventy-two xing the value here. You know that'd be incredible. That's not all going to be centered on one thing, right? This is, that's going to be spread out, and there's going to be a lot of value
0: creation to capture. So that's that's my take on it. So I think that's a really interesting, you know, point and I guess a related question and you know I want to be respectful of your time so we can we can run through some of these, you know, quick. Um but but that market got really frothy, right? And and things corrected and and does this where where are we in the dot com boom right now? And and obviously look, I mean I think there's, you know, an argument to be made that 2017 was a lot more dot com boom like than today. Um but but where are we in this current market cycle, do you think this market is really frothy? And obviously, frothy markets, to your point earlier with Doge, can get a lot frothier, um, yeah. right? And so, where do you think we are? And, and do you think there's still value plays in this market?
1: You know, it's a great question. There's there's so many layers to it because if you think about that 1998 internet analog, uh, Amazon went you know boom, and then in in was it 2001? it traded down to like a buck or a buck 80. It, it, it made its low, um, you know, a few years later when everything came down. So to think about if it's really that analog, like are we going to experience that crash again? Or was that crash what we just really lived through, through that, the 2018 and 19 doldrums, right? If you look at the prices of all this stuff, now compared to then, we've come off those lows dramatically. So I think technologically, how people are actually um, adopting and and starting to use blockchain and, and, and crypto, these products, technologically, are we closer to 98? Maybe that's the case. I think that the one thing we've learned is that The last 12 years have been very, very unique and very special when we look at global economic policy. And after the the global financial crisis of of 07, 08, this monetary policy, this zero interest rate environment, this flood the system with liquidity and even with all the liquidity that they've flooded into the system for years they could not create any inflation you know remarkable they were inflating inflating but they wouldn't create any inflation which means that like the deflationary pressures must have been so strong and was that due to production to technology advancements you know i'm not sure but the bottom line is right now right this second we're seeing asset prices revalue themselves a lot higher. You know, lumber's been the big story the past several days. It literally will not stop going up. It's made like new high after new high and it is just on a tear. Commodities in general have just performed brilliantly. And is that more um because of finally we're going to start to see some inflation show up because the money supply has been expanded so you know, by trillions and trillions of dollars, and that's not just in the U.S., but it's globally. I, I think we're, we're definitely in this experimental zone when it comes to monetary policy to where I, one of those m- major side effects is the price of assets going up in U.S. dollar terms, in fiat terms. So that sort of fuel on the fire, and we see what's happening in lumber, You see what happens in something like GameStop or or even in crypto. It's it's like the central banks are really telling people with 0% interest rates or negative interest rates, put your money anywhere else. Go find yield elsewhere. Put it at risk. So they're leading people into other assets, into risk assets. And that's what's causing kind of this melt up. Now, I just don't know how far that's going to go. You know, we just experienced yesterday or two days ago, you know, Janet Yellen was kind of playing the hawk and, you know, more so than she ever did when she was the Fed chair. And it was kind of seeming like a good cop, bad cop play between her and Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman. Um, But people didn't like that, right? Everything went down that day. But guess what? The next day, everyone was in there buying the dip again. So People um, in these markets, when, when you think about this monetary policy experiment, and you think that it's going to be extremely difficult for these central banks to unwind this policy, that it leads people into buying hard assets, it leads people into buying stocks and to take more risk. Everything is, is on a fundamental level looking expensive, but it doesn't mean it, it can't continue
0: to move higher. And so one question that we ask all of our guests, and then I'll follow us up with my last question is, you know, fundamentals, right? It's the Fundamental mm-hmm. Value Podcast after all, right? And so how do you value, fun, you know, how do you define fundamentals for digital assets? And, you know, does it depend on the token and do fundamentals matter in bull markets in crypto?
1: Well, yes and no. Fundamentals matter and then they don't. I think that like we're seeing right now, sometimes the, and there's some funny memes with the, they show the normal curve and they show like the lowest IQ people, middle of the road and highest IQ, and maybe the highest and lowest might have the same solution, but they get there in a very different, different way. But like right now, all the Robinhood cryptos are are outperforming today. Like, is that a coincidence because what just happened with Doge and, and because of the retail flow there, that's not fundamentals, but is Part of the fundamental analysis that, hey, Doge just mooned, Robinhood, those players are buying the hell out of this stuff. What are the other coins on Robinhood? And maybe we should take a position there. Like, to me, is that kind of fundamental analysis? It actually is. Like, I think about fundamental analysis and then technical analysis, which is pure charts. Like, it kind of is fundamental. Like, Ethereum Classic is on Robinhood. It's one of five, probably going to moon. And there you go, it's up 35%. Now, if you really want to look at the fundamental analysis, you'd look at Ethereum Classic and say, no one's using this thing. It's not secure, yada, yada, yada. Your fundamental researcher would tell you it's bearish. Don't touch that thing. And then, you know, we're looking at it and it's up 40% today. So I think that like, there's almost two flavors of fundamental analysis, right? There's like, is this chain novel? Is it valuable? Are people transacting on it? What? Where is the network accruing value? Why should I own the token? Does the token give me any rights to any of this value? You know, there's all those questions, but it also can come down to pure supply and demand, right? Part of fundamental analysis of tokens is like, well, if of the tokens are being locked up in staking wallets that makes it so there's not that many tokens on the open market and it kind of might get difficult for buyers of that token to actually acquire it so they're they have to pay up to do so you know that's fundamental analysis so there's like the technical analysis not technical truly of charts but like you're fundamentally analyzing the the technical nature of the token, the protocol, the Mm -hmm. platform, whatever it is. And then there's like, there's other fundamental things,
0: but you know, other factors. No, I think it's, I think that's smart. I mean, one of the things that I've talked to with a lot of guests, I mean, I'll, you know, a number that I know that you, you know, and you're friends with as well, like, you know, Hassan and I, uh, Hassan the series on the podcast a few episodes ago. It's a great episode. Definitely check it out. Uh, you know, yep. we talked about like this relative valuation. I also did it with Avi Feldman at Block Tower, right? And like in a bull market, it's like, if Ethereum just moved up to $3,500. Well, are all the other L1s just going to follow and it doesn't matter anything else about them because people are just kind of playing the trend. So I think it, it it is also fundamental in a way. I think that's smart. I think it's a good distinction to make.
1: Yeah. No, and another thing like that that idea of the comp, right? right. I mean, you're in that world. You look at hard numbers and all you mm-hmm. can do is compare them, yeah. right? You, you compare the numbers and you see what's outperformed, what's performed. This is trading at this value, that's trading at that. It's like if you look at two identical houses on a street and one just traded for five hundred thousand dollars and the other's offered at four fifty, it's like, wait, why why are they selling this for four fifty? It's the same house, it's right. built the same, you know, like what's that looks like value to me. Either something, right. you know, I don't know something, or that's value. So then that's part of this whole thing. We've you know, we've been bullish of solana right and solana's went on a tear and it's trading 48 bucks or t- today it's 44 80 whatever it is but the the market cap of solana is call it 15 12 billion, billion dollars yeah
0: okay it's not so even call yeah
1: it, call it 12 13 billion depending on what you're looking at circulating supply wise and then you look at mm-hmm. a competitor right and and polka dot that that went on a tear a little earlier and that thing's trading with you know a thirty-plus billion-dollar valuation. I think it actually touched forty the other day.
0: So I mean, Algorand and Avalanche are both forty billion-dollar uh, market cap assets. Um, it's crazy. Create- oh no, they're four billion. They're not forty. Sorry, they're four right. billion. But you know, Binance Coin is you know about to touch uh, you know a hundred billion. ETH is at four hundred billion now. Yeah. Um, which is just, it's 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 absurd.
1: Yeah. So you look at you look at the layer ones, right? You look at Polkadot which is a 40 billion dollar cap. You look at Ethereum you just said massive. So then you look at Solana which is really it's a real competitor. Like it's got buy-in from some of the, the best and brightest and it's got applications, it's got it's got value locked up and it's trading at 4x discount, 3x. It's trading literally it could 3x and still be cheaper than Polkadot in market cap that's the sort of thing that like it's one of the only things you can look at when it comes to like the price of, of these tokens and and to me I would rather be in the position of relative undervaluation than relative overvaluation. I might like both Solana and Polkadot, which I do. But if one's trading 13 billion and one's trading 40 and holding everything else equal. And in terms of like, what's going on in the network and all that, there seems to be a little bit of edge or a little bit more upside, a little easier upside in Solana. And so like those sort of things, they really, it's a big part of, of, you know, it's not that you're necessarily going to put on a spread trade where you're going to get short polka dot and long Solana, but you use those comps to give you an idea of what could have you know, an easier time moving higher.
0: No, I mean, I'm totally with you. I mean, that was my play on, I mean, I've been in Pancake Swap since the beginning of the year and it was the same play. It was like, there is crazy volume on this thing on BSC and it's trading at a ridiculous discount to Uniswap and you can stake it and earn like 140% or more at the beginning of the year. So, um, you know, I'm with you. And so, you know, my last question uh, is what is the shittiest shit coin that you're either currently holding or that you held during 2017?
1: Huh. That's the shittiest shit coin. It's a great, great question. Um man, I, I didn't I I didn't do that much dumpster diving. Um <laughs> one coin that that we held and we held through was Nexus. And it's not the Nexus Mutual Insurance Nexus. But um, it, it was Nexus, NXS was, was the symbol that we, we, still, we still hold. And, you know, the founder was, he's a really sharp guy, um, Colin Cantrell. And his father was like one of the founders of SpaceX. I mean, they're rocket scientists. And, you know, I, I really, you know, I, I listened to him. I read a bunch of the stuff he was doing. I, I still think what they're building is, is valuable and novel. Um that thing went up to like above 10, above 11 bucks, 12 bucks and then traded all the way down to I don't know how low it hit in in the bear market, but it it went low. And we we ended up holding. I mean, we traded it a lot too. So we we, you know, we actually traded it pretty well, but that thing would pump like no other coin I'd seen. I mean, seen. the 52 I mean, went,
0: week low is 13 cents. It's at about $1. 50 now.
1: Yeah. So it's come off 10x, right? So you're like, oh at 10x off the bottom, but it's still 90% down on its all-time <laughs> high or
0: something. You know? That's a crazy way chart. Way. That's a cra I'm looking at it right now. That's a crazy chart.
1: Crazy. And the guy's brilliant. I'm telling you, like he's brilliant. It just they haven't really been able to get the network effects. They haven't, it just hasn't materialized. Doesn't mean it's 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 dead because you never know, never rule anything out. These are all kind of like options that never expire. It, it's, it, it is a different sort of market, but um, Nexus was one that we, uh, we did trade well, but man, we, we rode um, our, our bag that we never, you know, that was our forever bag. We rode that down and um, <laughs> boy, it, it really cratered.
0: All right. Well, I really appreciate your time, Rob. This was great. You know, I would have loved to chat more about markets. I mean, we could chat for hours and hours and hours. So we may have to bring you back on to, you know, chat trading a little bit more and chat markets. But, you know, again, really appreciate your time. So where can people, uh, you know, follow you online, follow Hero, you know, find out more? And I'll drop everything in the description as well. Yeah.
1: Well, you should definitely join the Hero Labs Discord. It's phenomenal. Uh, We've got rooms in there with just specific charts. We've got um, like, Crypto Messiah has got charts in in one of the the channels. We've got our guy Random Task who's got brilliant charts. He's in there. We're talking about everything from shit coins to DeFi to yield farming. Um, that's in our Discord, um, Hero Labs Discord. We've got a YouTube channel where we do some great live streams. That's also under Hero Labs. And then go check out Hero.io. Especially you know our, our products are not available to us. Um, U.S. residents and some other restricted jurisdictions. But for you outside the U.S., uh, definitely go check out Hero.io, some, some great simplified contracts. It's, it's, a, it's a great way to, to look at the market. And even if you look at some of these contracts and, and look at some of the data you can gather from them, I think it's really, uh, really valuable. So that would be Hero, hxr And you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Robbie Levy. R-O-B-B-Y, L E V Y. Levy, um, you know, I'm not the ag Twitter guy
0: I once was, but now I'm I'm uh, I'm a crypto Twitter guy. Rob's got some great memes, so I definitely recommend uh, following him. He's he's one of the best the best memers in uh, in crypto. Ooh. Well,
1: that that's too kind, but I I can I can dig up some zingers, and it's really kind of what you're feeling at the time, you know. And you find that's why I
0: love, and I'm still such a boomer when it comes to
1: gifts. I still
0: think CMS has the best Twitter account, but you're up there. I think you got a good one too. I love CMS. They're great.
1: Love that account. But thanks so much for having me, Josh. I really appreciate it. I
0: appreciate it. Thanks again, Rob. All
1: right, dude.